Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our privilege to have you with us today. And please stay with us for this hour as we'll endeavor to open the Bible and look into God's Word. Learn a little bit more from the book of Ephesians. We are going to talk today about waging peace. I would like to welcome our panel, and I will say hello to Jerry. It's good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. Looking forward to this discussion. Denise, thank you for being part of this too. It's always a privilege to be part of the panel, Nick. Hi, Brenton. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. Some very important topic we're discussing today, and it's good to be able to all share together. Joe, welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. Delighted to be here. Ken, it's good to have you with us, too. Thank you, Nick. It's great to be here on this beautiful sunny day. And hi, Lija. Thank you for uh, joining us again. I'm very grateful. Praise the Lord. Will, I'd like to say hello to you, too. But before, I'd like to just thank you, Will, for taking a bit of extra time to prepare this Bible study. You are going to facilitate this discussion Welcome to the program. Thank you. It will be a, a privilege. Thank you also for your work behind the microphone. And Nick, we know what happens behind the scenes. Appreciate your presence. All right. Well, uh, it's good to be able to, to be together uh, and to broadcast uh, today. A very important study, I believe. We kind of continuing also from last week. And Will, would you be able to... Please take us through. Certainly. Tucked away in the folds of Hebrews 11 is a two-word biography. I think that's worth a second glance. The two words are, he endured. The Living Bible says he kept right on going. The New International Version, he persevered. The New English Bible, he was resolute. The Amplified Bible renders it, He held staunchly to his purpose. And Moffat's quaint rendering is, He never flinched. The he here refers to Moses. Moses was one who hung tough, who refused to give in or give up, who decided that no number of odds against him would cause him to surrender and give up. We think that he must have possessed the disciplines of durability. He had staying power, we could say. You know, once Moses made up his mind on truth and principle, it seems nothing would deter the man. He endured, despite the criticism of some who were closest to him. Often the words of those he trusted most cut deeply. But he refused to back off. Misunderstood, maligned, murmured against, and misrepresented. Moses never flinched. Maybe Paul, the great apostle of grace, had such things in mind when he introduced his classic essay on the Christian soldier and the armour of God. When he writes in Ephesians 6 verse 11, put on every piece of God's armour so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle you will be standing firm. 
Of course, that's the wish, uh, my wish for everyone today, that we would stand firm. And I'm going to ask Lydia to pray in this connection for us. Holy Father in heaven, we're coming before you, first of all, to honor and glorify your holy name as our almighty God, creator of everything, and to bring you our thanks, appreciation for your goodness and mercy towards us and your continuous providence. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this special opportunity to open your holy word again and study about waging peace. This is a very important message for us to learn and to practice to be your soldiers, soldiers of peace in a world so increasingly characterized by aggression and violence. Today, you remind us that we are your soldiers, soldiers of Christ, our leader, to work in perfect harmony of one mind, one purpose, being consecrated to one ground object, union and peace. For this purpose, we have to be proper equipped in order to stand and pursuing peace. Father, please impart us from your wisdom and understanding. Bless us with your holy power of, of your Holy Spirit to receive understanding and wisdom. So to understand exactly the importance of the symbols of every piece of the whole, whole armor of God and give us willingness to let you dress us up with every piece of the armor of God. Help us, Father, to, to be your submissive, obedient, humble, faithful and victorious soldiers in your battle of unity of peace. Teach us today, mold us, shape us, our character, and teach us how to be your soldiers, waging peace, wearing peace, and spreading peace in our journey on this earth. Father, thank you so much for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' almighty name, amen. Thank you, Legion. I'm sure we all echo that prayer today. Panel and listener, in the context of our study today, I have no idea where you are on the matter of standing resolute in faith against the onslaught of the powers of evil. For all I know, you could be stronger than ever, determined not to shrink back, pressing on with a full tank of resolve. Praise God. That's great. However, and I include myself, we may sense that we're getting shaky. Our normally thick defense of moral purity and ethical integrity may be wearing thin. The Apostle Paul, I believe, would counsel us, whatever it is you're facing, step up, balanced well with grace. You'll agree that we're all in a struggle together, and we need the Lord. Let's look at the church for a moment, and uh in the context of Ephesians chapter 6. Joe, would you take us to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, please? 
beginning at verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I, that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So, Joe, what do you say Paul is saying about the kind of warfare that the church is engaged in? Well, it's pretty fierce, isn't it? Um, we often limit a passage to mean only one thing or one application, but often scripture has layers of application. I think this is one such passage where the battle is a personal one, one where Satan targets us as individuals, knowing our individual weaknesses, both cultivated and inherited. And we can sanitize this battle, but it is fierce and it is over loyalty to God versus the love of self. Mm-hmm. And nothing is overlooked as Satan makes a play for the individual soul. And there's much that can be said about that. But the other layer is that of our battle as the body of Christ, a, a corporate battle against the forces of evil, which exist to stifle the spirit of the good news of God's love mm-hmm. and salvation that's freely available to all who will come. There's no prerequisites, no money, no pedigree, only let yourself be drawn to the cross. And this Unfortunately, Satan cannot countenance. The attacks leveled at the body of Christ are relentless and they come from within sometimes, unfortunately, but they come also from without and the body of Christ, at the body of Christ or the church. Now, the body of Christ or the church needs to press together. I need to press together with the whole armor of God. And it makes me think of the formation used by the Roman legions, Will, where each soldier is clad in their own armor, but then they stand side by side with other soldiers in the legion with shields overlapping for protection of themselves, not only themselves, but for the soldiers standing beside them. And together as a group, they would march forward. Um, and this was very effective for a very long time. And hence, the armor can only protect if it is used both individually and corporately, I believe. Yeah, well said, uh, Joe. And uh, considering that uh, the church, as you have said, is under vile attack uh, from a very powerful adversary, it's all the more important that we stand together. But, of course, we may notice it as we stand together that some of the uh, the uh, people around us are wavering in faith. And I'd like to ask the panel, in what ways 
can we as individuals or even as a corporate body of believers work together in the great controversy to help each other in our struggles against the powerful forces of evil? No matter what form the onslaughts may come, and the devil thinks of all sorts of methods to bring us down. But can we help each other? Denise? Well, I think, uh, yes, definitely we can. And what Paul says at the end of Ephesians 6 is he asks the believers to pray for him so that he has the words to speak. And I think prayer is so powerful and so important, praying not only for our own individual uh, battles, but also praying for uh, the church, praying for the people that we meet with each week, the people in our families whom we know might be struggling, um, the leaders of our country. There's all sorts of people that we can pray for, and I think that prayer is a very powerful weapon. It's true, Denise. Prayer does make a difference. Ken? Well, I believe first we should be honest about our own struggles. I remember many years ago when I first came to the Lord, people in the church where I was going would get up on stage every week and tell how wonderful their life was. And I find this very hard to understand as I was having a very rough time after making a stand for Jesus. But as time went on, I got to know these people better. I found out they too were having all sorts of issues and struggles in many parts of their lives. I think many of us at times are taken by surprise at some of the unexpected things that come up against us. Our faith takes a dent or our minds start to question why as we try to understand what is going on, none of, now all of us have our own favorite Bible verses, and mine is Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Now I think for Christians, personally, I believe this is a good Bible verse to remember. It's true, Ken. Brenton? A couple of things uh, will come to mind in relationship to this issue of uh, helping one another corporately. Galatians 6, starting in verse 1, talks about bearing one another's burdens. That's found in verse 2. In verse 1, it talks about how if someone is fallen into sin, we who are spiritual should restore them. Now, there are two aspects to that, I believe. The first aspect is, yes, we are required to address the issue if we see someone in our ranks who is falling into sin. I'm not talking about someone who's obstinately and deliberately falling into sin. I'm talking about the issue will that all of us face. We are to uh, certainly speak to that matter, but we are to do it in such a way that the way that we address this particular person and the way that we help them is restorative in nature. I believe this is the second aspect, and I'll, for brevity's sake, I'll mention it. I believe another aspect of working corporately to help one another and restore one another is the issue of deception. Satan's biggest stratagem has always been and will continue to be deception. I believe as church, as a church and a church body, and as Joe touched on with your shields uh, so interlocked, we are to in, not only encourage one another as we see the day approaching, we are also to 
help one another to understand. Those we are told have, some people have the gift of um, discernment. Those in our, our church and those of us who have discernment, we should be able to share with those maybe who are struggling in areas where false teachings or false doctrines are being brought in. So I believe that's another aspect that we should be looking at. Yes. You had a comment, Joe? Yes, um, it's probably along similar lines to what's been said, but I think the focus is that, for me, is that we need to be fully armed, metaphorically speaking, and when we are, we are in a position to help others. But if I'm letting my own guard slip and I'm not only exposing myself but also placing others at risk, uh, making others vulnerable to succumbing to attack, I th- I'm thinking of um, a plane where we are told if there's an emergency, we are to place the mask, the oxygen on our own faces before helping those others who might be in our care, like, say, children or or the elderly or those who can't help themselves. So basically I think the onus is here to get that relationship right with God myself so that I am not exposing others, that I'm not um, letting the side down before, um, you know, so then we can all work together. But if I'm careless in my walk with God, maybe I am hampering someone else. And um, that that's a costly exercise. So true. You know, it's probably terrifying for us to even contemplate that close face-to-face combat like the soldiers fought in the fray of battle in biblical times. Can you imagine it? It's nightmare stuff. Aggressive enemies on every side, swords clashing, deep-thrusting spears, to say nothing of the arrows that are flying all around, while we're trying to protect every part of our body from violent assault. I wonder, is our conflict with unseen powers any less frightening than the terror on the battlefield between nations? Even more sobering is the thought that we on our own are decidedly too weak and outmaneuvered by the experienced enemy. So, where to in this seemingly impossible situation? Where do we even begin? Brenton, you want to start us off on defending yourself? I'll start off on a couple of aspects of the armour that we're going to be sharing today. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, now, there are some complementary texts, Will, um, that talk about the reason as to why we need these aspects before I address them. First Peter 5.8 is one that comes to mind. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Now, we are dealing with an enemy who is focused, utterly focused, and his focus is on taking as many people away from the kingdom of heaven as possible. The belt, the first aspect, Will, that is mentioned here, actually holds the whole armour together. It was made of metal. It had leather uh, parts on it as well. You had a scabbard hanging from your belt, which contained a sword, but my brief is not to talk about that. Others will be talking about that. But basically it held the whole thing together. And the interesting thing is it uses the term the belt of truth. Now, the Bible commentary says this is an abstract thing. I believe we need to focus it a little bit more uh, 
Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Now, what's interesting is that Paul frequently, not only in Ephesians, but in his other epistles, he talks about being in Christ or putting on Christ. In fact, in Ephesians alone, over 30 times being in Christ is mentioned. But putting on Christ, like putting on a garment, taking off another garment and putting on another garment. I believe that it's just interesting the way he describes these um, various aspects or, of um, the armour of God, because all of them really consist of being in Christ or putting on Christ. And he, he's addressing it from another aspect. Is it important? The truth is vitally important. Jesus said the truth will make you free. I would like to appeal to those who are listening to this Bible study to recognize that in knowing Jesus, you can be free. It's the only way you can be free. If Jesus is the truth, the way and the life, you need to know him personally. That brings not only uh, spiritual freedom, it can also bring, bring freedom from guilt and bring you peace. And the aspect that we're talking about today is peace. The other aspect that uh, it mentions, I think, is the breastplate. The breastplate protected the most vital organs of the soldier. And the most vital of all those organs was the heart. Now, Proverbs tells us that keep the heart diligently because out of this are the issues of life. I believe that um, in spiritually speaking, having on the spiritual breastplate means that our heart is fully protected because not only do we have on the whole armour of God, but our focus is totally on him. And we are, in this sense, we are impregnable when we have on the breastplate and the full armour of God. And I think that that's uh, very, very important. So they're the two aspects that I think will kick us off in our discussion today. I just think that Satan's attacks can be physical, but generally they're mental and emotional, and he he knows the weak points of our experience. We have a saying that um, someone so-and-so knows how to press someone else's buttons. Well, Satan knows all the buttons to press, yes. and therefore yes. I think it's vitally important that these two aspects, the first two, we have on, and we'll be discussing the others as we go along. Yeah, it would be a losing battle, Brenton, without Jesus. Absolutely. As we have said, that's so true. Yes, it's good also to take just a moment here, because I want to remind our listeners that uh, you can still get uh, from us uh, a wonderful devotional called God's Amazing Grace. You need to send us a text message with the code SABS. SA stands for South Australia, BS for Bible study, and just add one, S-A-B-S-1, the number where you can um, send us a text message to uh, request this offer which we have. It's 0482098883. Thank you, Nick. I would highly recommend that material. Take a look at it. It's wonderful stuff. Well, a part of the armour is are the shoes. And, um, Jerry, I wonder if you would comment on the shoes for us, please. Yes, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, 
in the New King James Version. It says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The clear word paraphrase puts it this way. Put on the shoes of the good news of Christ's peace. Now, if we stick to the military metaphor, as Christ's followers, and, and Lydia mentioned this in her prayer, you could say that we are his foot soldiers and have been given a specific task. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, go, therefore. It's almost like he's saying, go and put your boots on and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, that God loved the world so much that he sacrificed himself to save us, teaching them that he has defeated the enemy and is coming back soon to take us home. That's good news. You know, Will, my parents were born in the Netherlands and experienced the Nazi occupation of their country during the Second World War. The sound of the German troops marching down the road filled their hearts with, with fear and dismay. Can you imagine? How different to the sound created by the feet of one who brings the good news of Christ's peace. And Paul alludes to this. There's a reference in Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7 to 10. I'd like to read that, if I may, from the clear word paraphrase. It says there, How beautiful is the sight of messengers coming across the mountains bringing good news. How good to hear news of deliverance, the proclamation of salvation, and the announcement, God is king. The sentinels will shout for joy. The people will break out in singing. With their own eyes, they will see the Lord as he returns to Zion. Break out in singing, you ruins of Jerusalem. The Lord is coming to rescue his people and bring comfort to his city. The Lord will return with power. He will save his people in the sight of all nations. The ends of the earth will see the salvation of the Lord. So it's a wonderful imagery, isn't it, that uh, Paul uses here and borrowed from Isaiah. So the bottom line for Christ's followers, those who profess to be Christians, we've got a job to do. As I said, put your shoes on and go out with that beautiful message of peace. Yes, thank you. You know, with all this talk of in Ephesians 6 about armour and weapons, what should be the Christian's view of taking up military weapons against our earthly enemies? In this case, Paul does not wish, wish us to understand his calls to arms to as a call to take up military weapons against our enemies. That's why he describes believers as proclaiming the gospel of peace in Ephesians 6.15. Nor does he wish believers to be combative in their relationships with others, since he has been emphasizing unity, edifying speech, and tender-heartedness. The church is to wage peace by employing the gospel arsenal of Christians' virtues like humility, patience, forgiveness, and practices prayer and worship. Such acts are strategic, pointing towards God's grand plan to unify all things in Christ. God calls upon us to put on the armor. We do not want soul's armor, but the whole armor of God. Then we can go forth to work with hearts full of Christ, like tenderness, compassion, and love. Of course, we are dealing here with spiritual metaphors in the whole armor of God. And we as soldiers of Christ, 
we have to be united. We have to be a unity in one mind, one purpose, and being consecrated to one grand object. So we are not fighting a physical war, but we are are in a spiritual war. Yes, and what a war it is, hey? Thank you very much for that, Ledger. So let's take a look at the the other part of an, another part of the armor. Let's look at the shield. What is the shield, and how should believers, you believe, uh, as combatants in this great controversy, use the shield? Well, let's have a look at the literal shield that the Roman legionnaires used. Uh, it was a large rectangular shield. It was. Uh, protection for the soldiers. They wore it strapped to their arms and it was made of wood covered with leather. Its edges curved inward to guard against attacks from the side. And when the shield was soaked in water, it was able to quench fiery darts, which were um, arrows which were dipped in pitch and set on fire and and uh, hurled at the legionnaires. So Paul's description at is of this shield of faith, and it reflects the Old Testament use of the shield as a symbol of God who protects his people. And I'm going to look at some verses, going to look at Hebrews 11, verse 1, which says, To have faith means to be confident of the things we hope for and to be certain of the things we can't see. And verse 2 says, Faith is not in our ability to hold on to God, but in his ability to hold Onto us. So this, we're talking about this shield of faith, this protection. And, and in the Old Testament in Genesis 15, 1, God says to Abraham, I'm your shield. Do not be afraid. And another meaning of this word shield is king. I'm your king. So there's this sign that God has all authority and he can do everything. And I'd like to share Isaiah 41 verse 10 which says, so don't be afraid, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will hold you up with the right hand of my righteousness. So doubt, fear and anxiety are attacks from the devil and God counteracts that by saying, trust in me, I am your shield, you don't need to be afraid. Yes, who would want to enter, Denise, into battle and conflict? either the physical battle or a spiritual battle, without a shield for protection. That is true. Nick, um, then there's the helmet that we're admonished to wear. Uh, What is this this helmet in Scripture, do you believe? Yes, Will and panel. Yeah, depends uh, where uh, we inspire ourselves when we talk about the helmet in the Roman army as uh, was pointed out some of the armor there was uniquely designed and the helmet was uh, one of the important uh, piece of the armor now, it's interesting that uh, that was to protect the whole head even though some other parts of the body were not fully protected but the head uh, was supposed to be protected because that was the center if you like of decisions where you need to be to be able not to uh, concentrate on defending the head but to make decision in order to be successful in the battle i think jerry mentioned that uh, paul inspired himself from uh, isaiah 
in Isaiah, if you read in uh, chapter 59, um, described the condition of Israel. And that was not so good. And God, uh, God even uh, said that, that uh, your iniquities have made a separation, you know, put a, a, a wall of separation because of iniquities. Now God intervenes. Because uh, if we read in in that chapter in Isaiah, and I'm, I'm encouraging you all to look in Isaiah 59 to be inspired, uh, God intervenes with his righteousness. And then, uh, you know, to put the breastplate, which is uh, God's righteousness. You remember in the Old Testament when the high priest will have that uh, breastplate also, which represented God there. We need to have God in our life. Now, the helmet of uh, salvation, it's interesting that in First um, Thessalonians, for example, Paul is talking about the hope of salvation as a helmet. We need to, to be secured. We need to have that assurance that uh, we are walking in God's plan of salvation. And we make those decisions because, you know, uh, we said a bit earlier that we have attacks from all angles. And sometimes we can be very easily, you know, discouraged, affected by whatever goes around us. In the church, outside the church, in the family, and so on and so forth. Mm. But I think we need to have that uh, assurance. That's why uh, the hope of salvation, the helmet of salvation. Thank you, uh, Nick. And I'd like to hand you the sword, <laughs> the sword of battle. You want to talk about the sword for us, please? Certainly, will. Start off by reading Ephesians six seventeen. Nick did mention that, but it says, "Take the helmet of salvation, but and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is so critical." Sword, of course, refers to the spirit, which is the word of God. Referring to the Roman legionnaire short. Two-edged sword. The usual battle tactic was to throw two javelins, which is not mentioned here in Paul's word, and then draw the sword and charge, employing the short sword in a thrusting motion. The believer's sword is the sword of the spirit, in that it is supplied by the spirit, a weapon identified as the word of God. Paul steps forward as general and issues a call to arms, speaking promises and victory from the divine commander-in-chief. It is these promises issued in Ephesians 6, 10 to 20 that constitute the word of God as the lead weapon in this battle against evil. The word of God then refers to the broad promises of the gospel that we find in the Bible. So it is so critical Christians to read their Bible and know what this is all about. It's not just enough to hear others talk about it. You have to be prepared yourself. Soldiers in war are trained to do their job. As Christians, we need training as well by reading God's word and applying God's word in our life, which is uh, the sword of the spirit, the living word of God. Yeah, that's wise counsel, uh, Ken. You know, even if we might not like so many military images and references to war and casualty by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, I'd like to ask, what should this imagery teach us 
about just how literal the great controversy really is and how seriously we should prepare for confrontation. What do you think? Will, I've got a statement here um, associated with our Bible study for today, which may help on that one to give you some sort of an idea. It says, after Christ's ascension, Satan again counseled with his angels and with bitter hatred against God's government said to them that while he retained his power and authority upon earth, their efforts must be tenfold stronger against the followers of Jesus. They had prevailed nothing against Christ, but must overcome his followers if possible. In every generation, they must seek to ensnare those who would believe in Jesus. He related to his angels that Jesus had given his disciples power to rebuke them and cast them out and to heal those whom they should afflict. Then Satan's angels went forth. Notice the, the terminology here, like roaring lions seeking to destroy the followers of Jesus. I find that very interesting because that single statement sums up the whole of what we've been discussing in the last two studies, that this battle is real, it is intense, and that there's either going to be one of two outcomes. We're either going to be overcome or we're going to be standing firm in the full armour of God. We've certainly realised that uh, there are many people that might just leave it for tomorrow or just uh, let it come as it comes. But I think that uh, with the seriousness, the gravity of the sort of battle that we are to fight, all the preparation that we possibly could make should be made in advance of our meeting the foe. Brenton, we notice that Paul identifies or links each item of armour to something vital in the Christian experience. Yes, he does. The belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, helmet and sword. But, you know, it seems that he hasn't given an image to perhaps the most important deterrent in conflict. Where is, in Ephesians 6, the symbol for all-important prayer? Isn't prayer missing in this imagery? Can I read the two texts and then just comment on them briefly, Will? It says this, it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Will, can I suggest this? We've talked exhaustively now in two studies, last week and this week, about the armour of God. Today we have specified specifically the various items of armour that constitute the full armour of God. Can I suggest that without prayer, you have a fully clad warrior who is impotent. You've got on the full armour of God that the power that comes for moving forward, for facing the, the foe, for overcoming, for encouraging one another, the power comes from prayer. Yeah. Otherwise, what you've got is an image in your mind of a Roman soldier fully dressed, fully armed, ready for battle, but the power is missing. The power to move forward, the command to go forward, where does it come from? Someone read it earlier on, Matthew 28, I think it was Jerry, 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the command. Go forward. And so the prayer, whilst it may not be part of the actual um, armor itself, it overgirds and undergirds the whole thing. And there is an example in the Old Testament in Second Chronicles 20, which I won't read, but I'll try and quote it. It talks about a battle scenario where Judah was about to be overcome by its enemies. And it says the king and all of his uh, people and their wives and children stood before the Lord. Rather interesting. That's in verse 13 of Second Chronicles 20. In 15, we find the spirit of the Lord comes upon a guy called Jehaziel, and he says to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. In verse 18, we find that Jehoshaphat, his men, that's the army, his um, the wives and children all bow down before the Lord and worship the Lord. It's an aspect of prayer. They recognized that this force coming against them was beyond them. They were not going to be successful if they simply went out to battle. And so prayer, again, forms a very important part. Christ's success against Satan, I believe, was based on prayer, based on his relationship with his father. Mm. We're told that he spent all night in prayer on occasions. So Paul is asking them here to undergird everything that they do, their marching instructions. Everything is undergirded with prayer. In verse 19, he actually asked them to pray for him. Now, I would um, suggest to the panel, and I'm sure if we had time, Will, we could reflect on this, but how many times have we been in difficult straits and we know that somebody is praying for us? Yes. That is just so vitally important that we know that even though we're doing it tough, as it were, There are people praying for us. I have felt that. It's almost like a physical uplift. You know that even though you're struggling, you know that there are people who are praying for you. And Paul's saying to the Ephesian believers, pray for me so that I'm chained to a Roman soldier in prison. So he said, um, when the opportunity presents itself for me to speak the word of God, I pray that I'll do it as I should, meaning I will not um, lessen it or go beyond what is required that I may present the undiluted, if you will, gospel. Remember, he was about to stand before the Emperor Nero and a more licentious person that's difficult to imagine than the Emperor Nero. So all of these things tell me that the importance of prayer, prayer for ourselves, prayer for our corporately, but prayer that we may move forward as the Lord's instructions have already been given to us in the word of God, but we need that power to move forward. And the power is found in prayer. You know, your image of a of a soldier clad in the full armour and yet standing still makes me think of a little girl that walked with her dad in one of the castles in Europe. Uh, there was a knight, shining armour, the lance, the sword, the the uh, helmet and everything, and she wouldn't go near this uh, imposing uh, thing. And her dad said to her, don't worry, honey, there's nobody inside. There's no, he won't move. He's, he's motionless. He had explained that he was empty inside. 
It's like going into battle with the full armor, but <laughs> without prayer. Uh, well said. Thank you very much. Um, you have a statement on prayer as well for us, Joe. Well, I think that, um, I think Brendan has expressed it beautifully, but Paul urges us to pray and pray continually. And in the letter to the Thessalonians, he says, pray without ceasing. And, and we've looked at that in previous studies. The importance of prayer is that fortified in the full armour of God, which God himself provides, we then go on to pray, praying for our own and the victory of others. The battle with the unseen forces is real, as Paul knew personally. Prayer is also an opportunity to listen and hear God's voice speaking to us and guiding us through his word. Prayer is the glue that brings it all together. But even in battle, prayer is not the, is not to only ask for things. Prayer is also an opportunity to thank and praise God for the victories in your own life, in the lives of those around you, the ones you love, the love. And in your church life, Charles Spurgeon, he was asked, what was more important, prayer or Bible study? And that's something that, um, people sometimes lean strongly to prayer but he said after thinking for a while he returned the question with another question and he asked what is more important breathing in or breathing out now that's attributed to charles spurgeon but i think Mm. prayer Mm. and the word of god they you know listening to god and speaking to god's important yes yeah yeah i i just wanted to add to that point that joe has said about uh, praying all the time. And also another very important point, I believe, which many of us, including many Christians today, I believe, fail to uh, address, and that is the word thank you when we pray to God every single day. We wake up and we have a life. We've got roof overhead and food and friends and all these sort of things. I think sometimes, even as Christians, we can take all these things for granted. But I think it's so important, along with prayer, to praise God for all his grace and mercy and supplying all we need and to continually thank him as well. I really believe that's a strong prayer. Brenton? Well, I think there is an extra aspect to prayer here too. One could almost get the impression in studying these texts that we're continually begging God to do something, do something, do something. Um, the prayer that Paul is talking about here is not for that purpose. If um, we believe what Jesus said, that your heavenly father already knows what you need before you ask him, you've got to ask yourself the question, why are we praying? Are we like a, a petulant child who's not getting what he or she wants? And so we just keep nagging till eventually God says, okay, go ahead and have it. I don't believe that's the aspect of prayer that Paul is talking about here. I think he's recognising himself and trying to get through to us that in the world in which we live, both back then and today, there is this particular aspect. We are fighting a battle every moment of every day. We're not praying God for the purpose of saying, do something, do something, Lord. What are you doing? Why aren't you doing something? We are praying, Lord, protect me. May that full armour of God be on all day, every day, 24-7. Yes. No doubt prayer has played a large part 
important part in our Christian walk and in our conflict with the uh, evil forces against us. Perhaps uh, someone on the panel would like to just give a personal testimony of how prayer made a big difference in a time of severe need. Uh, yes, Will, I can uh, testify to that in my own life, and this is going back many years now, probably 30 years ago uh, or thereabouts. I was faced with a, uh, a health crisis, uh, which came like a, a bolt out of the blue, basically, uh, which led to me losing my job. And at the time, we were living outside of the city in the country, and I was the only breadwinner. So I had a young family. The children were, I had two boys, and they were about, from memory, about six and seven. And, um, yeah, I, if you lose your job like that, then you, and suddenly are dependent on, on your own finances and some government support. It's a very humbling experience. But where I'm going with this is I, I was tremendously buoyed by the uh, the prayers of my friends, my loved ones that uh, were in my church community, and I felt that that made a huge difference in my ability to, to cope with what I was facing. I had a good recovery, and uh, I managed to regain my former employment and looking back now i can just rejoice in in the prayers of the uh, of the loved ones of the saints that um, were there with me in spirit and it made a world of difference if you have to face these issues by yourself that can be an incredibly uh, steep hill to climb but I, f- I felt that it made every difference to know that people were praying for me Yes, prayer. Thank you for that, uh, Jerry. Prayer plays a very, very integral part in the the conflict with with evil. I want to share with you words by Isaac Watts. They may be very old words, but they have a 21st century ring of relevance. And I'd like to you ask you to ponder the questions that he asks. He says, are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace, to help me on to God? You see the questions that he asks in this hymn? Do I have foes? We'll all say, absolutely. Can I escape? No, we can't, not on our own. Is the world a friendly place to help us? No, he answers firmly. Sure, I must fight if I must, if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, but supported by thy word. We all face a real insidious enemy. To make things even more confusing, The source of all evil is invisible, as are all of his troops. Some even question his existence. We need an unwavering connection to the Lord, to be ambassadors of faith and soldiers sharing the victory of Christ. May God help us to this end. And I'm going to ask Brenton to pray a prayer of intercession to this end for us all.
Our dear Father in heaven, the Prince of Peace, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, we come before you in prayer at the conclusion of this study, recognising that in Jesus alone we have peace. We are called, though, as your disciples, Lord, to be ambassadors of peace. Second Corinthians 5 tells us that we are ambassadors. We are to plead with people to be reconciled to God, to receive that peace that you alone can give. Lord, over the last two studies, we have studied together the implements of armour that a soldier wore, but we recognise, Lord, that without prayer, without a real, live, vibrant connection with you, we are like a soldier standing in a museum. We thank you for the transforming power of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for intercessory prayer. We thank you that as we have shared today, we personally can attest to the fact that because others were praying for us, we have felt the uplifting, the loving arms of Jesus around us, yes. supporting us, maybe not um, taking away the, the problem or the battle or the trial, but strengthening us to bear it. And we thank you, Lord, that our listeners can also have this experience of peace in the midst of battle. It almost seems like a, um, something that's uh, against one another. But in actual fact, Jesus had peace in the midst of the most severe temptations, the most severe trials when he was here on earth. He went forward undaunted, unconquered, and he said at the end of his life, the prince of this world comes, but he's got nothing in me. I pray, Lord, that we will have on the whole armour of God, that we may move forward unitedly, not doing a solo effort. Yes, we have our own private battles, and you know them, Lord, but you have invited us to have on your armour. So individually and corporately, we can both have on the whole armour of God. We can lock shields, as Joe said earlier on, and we can move forward in faith and undergirded and overgirded, as it were, with prayer. Lord, our prayer today is increase our faith. May we move forward confidently in your strength. May the difficulties, the problems that we see, vanish before the, the shield of faith, before the full armour of God. And may we have a clear path that you are directing us to, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone, for uh, your input, for your participation to this uh, Bible study. Indeed, a very important one, and I think we can find ourselves into this situation. You know, Apostle Paul, he's um, starting uh, in uh, in this uh, chapter 6, um, from verse 10, he says, a final word, you know, a final word. And the invitation was, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he's inviting us to put on 
the full armor of God. We are going to finish the in the book of Ephesians next time, looking at Ephesians in the heart, how we can really uh, demonstrate what we learn so far, um, and to learn how we are blessed in Christ, and we are redeemed for the community, you know, uh, to be an example around us. And we are the church of the living God. May God help us to represent him um, as he intended for each one of us. Until next time, my dear friend, I'll invite you to consider to put the armor of God, the full armor of God, to put it on and to walk safely in the footsteps of Jesus as a trustworthy soldier. May God bless you.